Hello and welcome to the Performance Audit Report. I'm Conor McGarrity. And I'm Yusuf Muller. Welcome today to a special edition of the podcast, wherein we're going to be featuring another entity's podcast that we came across recently that we found to be really interesting, and when they had done some really exciting performance audit work. And Yusuf, I'll let you talk a little bit about it. So this was something that we spoke about in an earlier episode. It's the Kansas Legislative Division of Post-Audits COVID-19 Unemployment Review. Why this podcast episode is particularly interesting, two things. One is the technique or approach that was used for part of the audit was quite interesting. So that's using supervised machine learning. The second thing about this particular episode, as with many other episodes, is the auditors that did the work on the podcast explain what they did in such a straightforward way, easy to understand, that I think anybody that hasn't yet thought about uh, or deeply thought about how to undertake a review using this sort of approach will come away from it with a much better understanding of what it is and how perhaps to think about it and do it yourself. Again, this is not ours. We did get permission to rebroadcast this episode and hopefully you find it of use. And if people want to read the report, they can jump on the website of the Kansas Legislative Division of Post Audit. And we'll put a link to it in the show notes. Welcome to The Rundown, your source for the latest news and updates from the Kansas Legislative Division of Post Audit, featuring LPA staff talking about recently released audit reports and discussing their main findings, key takeaways, and why it matters. I'm Brad Hoff. In August 2021, Legislative Post Audit released Part 2 of the Performance Audit Evaluating the Kansas Department of Labor's Response to COVID-19 Unemployment Claims. Part 2 focused on determining what factors caused delays in the Kansas Department of Labor's unemployment claims processing during the COVID-19 pandemic. Part 1, released in February 2021, primarily focused on what types of unemployment claims fraud schemes the Kansas Department of Labor is aware of and how they are being addressed. Our earlier podcast episode discussing Part 1's findings summarizes the Unemployment Insurance Program and the temporary unemployment insurance programs created by the federal government because of the pandemic. It also included an estimated amount of unemployment fraud in Kansas between March 2020 through the end of November 2020 that we'll revisit here in Part 2. Both the report and podcast episode of Part 1 can be accessed at LPA's website, www.kslpa.org. Now today, I'm here with Matt Etzel, Principal Auditor at Legislative Post Audit, who supervised the audit and Cade Graber, auditor, who is on the audit team. Matt and Cade, welcome to The Rundown, and thanks for taking the time to discuss part two of the audit report today. Yep, thanks for having us. Happy to be here. Before we dive into the findings of part two, I think it is important to provide a summary of findings that Legislative Post Audit uh, reported in part one, because both reports evaluated the Kansas Department of Labor's response to COVID-19 unemployment claims, and then part two provides some updated information on a few findings. So talk uh, about what you found in part one. Yeah, so 
As you mentioned, part one really focused on what unemployment fraud schemes were occurring in Kansas during the pandemic and how they were being addressed. So one of our main findings was that because of how it was structured, uh, fraudsters are really targeting a new federally funded unemployment program, and that was the Pandemic Unemployment Assistance Program, or PUA for short. That PUA program was introduced specifically to help people who lost their jobs because of the pandemic, and it extended benefits to new groups of people like the self-employed or gig workers like Uber drivers. But what happened was that because you could apply as self-employed under the PUA program, there was little states could do to really verify those claims with a traditional employer. Uh, All a claimant really had to do was self-certified that they met the criteria for PUA. So this created a a massive incentive for fraudsters to apply for this federal program, knowing there was little states could do to prevent them from getting those benefits. And that's basically what we saw with the Kansas Department of Labor, or KDOL for short, was that their existing fraud detection processes, they weren't well suited to identify that type of PUA fraud. And that was basically for two reasons. Um, One, you know, as self-employed, KDOL couldn't really verify the accuracy of those claims with an employer. Um, and second, KDOL's other fraud detection processes were mostly manual, and that's coming at a time uh, when KDOL was seeing uh, historically high levels of unemployment claims, and so a manual process just wasn't very effective in reviewing all of those claims for fraud. Uh, as you also mentioned, we did have a preliminary estimate in Part 1 that showed about $600 million in unemployment fraud could have occurred in Kansas during the pandemic. At that time, you know, there was very little information on how much fraud could have occurred in Kansas. Uh, Because of that, we wanted to release at least a preliminary high-level estimate uh, while we finished our more detailed fraud estimate, which is included in part two of the audit. And of course, we'll talk more about today. So let's start here. What steps are involved when processing unemployment claims? Well, the first step in the process uh, is going to be applying for unemployment benefits. In Kansas, many people either apply online or over the phone with a KDOL customer service representative. Uh, Their information is entered into the state's unemployment computer processing system, which helps determine things like whether someone is eligible for benefits and what their weekly benefit amount might be. If approved, that claim gets processed to payment, and the claimant eventually receives their benefits. Uh, but it's it's really important that that entire process happens timely, uh, because delays in any part of claims processing means people are going to have to wait to receive their unemployment benefits. The audit's question for part two was, what factors cause delays in the Kansas Department of Labor's unemployment claims processing during the COVID-19 pandemic, what did you find caused the delays? It's really a combination of a few things that came together to create those delays. But but one of the main contributing factors was the state's outdated mainframe computer. So a little bit of background here. Uh, States use large, powerful computer systems to process unemployment claims. Uh, These computers hold eligibility rules, claims history, and are, are just generally used to process unemployment claims. Kansas's unemployment computer system was created in the early 1970s and is centered around a a mainframe computer. Um, That mainframe runs on an outdated and pretty rarely used computer code that was also from the 1970s. Uh, And that outdated language created some unique challenges for KDOL. 
for one, there aren't a lot of programmers that are still familiar with that coding language, which can make it difficult to kind of update and maintain that system. It's also not very user-friendly. So in some cases, KDAL staff had to what they call hard code application data into the system. And what that means is that they, they couldn't even really use a mouse to navigate some of those windows when they're entering in applicant information. But I think one of the biggest challenges with that outdated code uh, was trying to get the mainframe to communicate with newer programs that run on modern code. So, for example, uh, the state's online application site runs on a modern coding language. Uh, it needs to communicate with the mainframe, but can't really on its own because they're running on two different languages, one modern and one outdated as a solution, KDAL had to implement something called Rocket that basically allows the two different coding languages to interact. Um, over the years, you know, as KDAL had to keep adding more modern programs around the mainframe, what you ended up with was this kind of piecemealed computer system uh, piped, you know, in and around the mainframe computer, which under normal conditions probably worked okay. But as the pandemic hit, unemployment claims increased dramatically and, and quickly. And so what happened uh, was that all of a sudden that put a lot of stress on that piecemeal system, basically causing it to break down and creating system errors and, and failures. And during those failures, a lot of claims weren't getting, weren't getting processed. So that's, that's one major component to the delays. The second component is it's still related to that mainframe, but basically over the years, KDAL didn't properly document changes to its computer code. Um, so what I mean by that is periodically that code uh, that these systems run on, it needs to be revised. Uh, when that happens, it's really important to follow uh, a uniform and, and well-documented process in order to help maintain the integrity of those systems. If you don't, you can end up with a really poorly organized coding structure that's prone to error. And that's, that's because if you don't document those changes, it's really difficult for programmers to see what's been changed in the code, and to really fully understand how additional changes are going to impact with uh, with existing code. And that's exactly what happened over the years. So um, historically, KDAL staff were not following those best practices, and it created a very disorganized coding structure. So every time a KDAL programmer now makes a change to the code, there's a risk that that change could cause errors somewhere in the claims process. And again, you know, under normal conditions, KDAL isn't having to make a lot of those major edits to the code. And when they did, they had, you know, more time to test their changes. But when the pandemic hit, uh, you had several major changes coming down from the federal government that needed to be made and, and made very quickly. Uh, and because of that poorly organized code, those, those changes created several system errors. Uh, KDAL showed us one example where a coding issue made it appear that several people were no longer eligible for benefits despite still having multiple weeks of eligibility left. When that happens, you know, those claimants are denied benefits. And unfortunately, these errors aren't easy to see and they aren't easy to fix. Uh, you need specialized staff to review the claims and identify the issue. And you need specialized IT staff familiar with that older code uh, to fix the issue. So these aren't always going to be quick fixes. And during that time, people were going without benefits. What impact did the surge in both valid and fraudulent claims have in system failures and delays in processing claims? It's it's going to be that same stress that I talked about um, before on the state's piecemealed system, you know, causing it to break down at times. But 
But you bring a, a good point in that it, it wasn't just stress from legitimate claims. There were also a significant amount of fraudulent attempts during the pandemic uh, that added on to that stress. Um, so our work on this audit showed, you know, about 59% of the roughly 1 million unique claims filed during the pandemic could, could have been fraudulent. Um, now, not all of those were paid, and we'll get into that in a little bit more detail here in a minute, but it just goes to show uh, how much additional stress fraudsters were putting on the state system during the pandemic. The report highlights uh, staffing issues that the Kansas Department of Labor experienced at the call center. Talk about what these issues were and how they contributed to causing the delays. One important thing to know uh, is that KDAL customer service positions are federally funded and that federal funding uh, generally increases or decreases with a state's unemployment rate. So going into the pandemic, Kansas had relatively low unemployment rates, somewhere around 3% in 2019. Because unemployment rates were so low going into the pandemic, funding for those customer service positions was was also low. So in April 2020, uh, Cato only had about 33 customer service representatives to answer phones. That's compared to about 12.5 million incoming calls that month. Now, many of those calls were repeat callers. Uh, people that tried to get through couldn't and more or less immediately called back. Um, you know, according to Cato, some people tried calling as many as, you know, hundreds of times a day. But with only 33 staff at the start of the pandemic, it was really difficult to answer many of those calls. Now, KDAL did tell us that during that spring of 2020, they brought on about 120 additional staff from other divisions or agencies to try to help answer some of those phone calls. Uh, but still, they were only able to answer about 70,000 calls that April, which is about 1% of total calls that month. And, you know, in general, people are calling in because they need help with their claim, either getting their application in or fixing an issue on an existing claim. So when they can't talk to somebody, it can create a delay in them receiving their unemployment benefits. But by July 2020, KDAL started bringing on contracted staff to answer phones, uh, who basically replaced those 120 state employees brought on from other agencies. Um, KDAL reported adding uh, hundreds of temporary contracted staff to answer calls over the course of the pandemic. But despite that increase in staff, we didn't see a clear corresponding increase in calls answered. Uh, and we think that might be for two reasons. Um, first, uh, you know, KDAL told us that call complexity increased over the course of the pandemic. Uh, so by the time contracted staff were on board, calls could have been getting more complex. And with more complexity, you know, it takes longer uh, to get those calls addressed. So staff could probably answer fewer calls per day. And a second reason why uh, we might not have seen that dramatic increase in calls answered that we were looking for was that not all contracted staff were assigned to answer phones. So some were performing administrative duties, other were making outbound calls. Uh, but there wasn't a great way for us to see an exact breakdown of how many contracted staff were actually answering calls each day uh, throughout the pandemic. So it did kind of limit us and make it difficult for us to really make a detailed comparison of staffing numbers to, to calls answered. Now, there have been efforts by multiple stakeholders, including the Kansas Department of Labor, the legislature, and the governor to modernize the unemployment computer system. Talk about what these efforts are. Yeah, so there was an initial effort, you know, between 2005 and 2011 to modernize the state's unemployment system. 
Um, during that time, Cato made improvements to its system, but never fully modernized it. And what I mean by that is that Cato was able to add new functionality, like an online application site, but it was never able to replace that outdated mainframe. Uh, and because of that, Cato still relied on that mainframe computer and couldn't get away from that piecemeal system and that outdated code that I talked about earlier. Now, KDAL has restarted its modernization efforts, so officials told us uh, they were in the planning phase of modernization right before the pandemic, uh, but the pandemic basically pushed pause on those plans. But by March 2021, KDAL had finalized a project modernization plan, and by April, it had posted a request for proposals for that project. Uh, basically, that modernization plan would replace the state's current system with a modern, more self-contained system. And uh, what I mean by modern and self-contained is, uh, you know, unlike the current system, it wouldn't be piecemeal. Instead, it would be able to kind of house all the necessary programs within one integrated system. Uh, and the entire thing should be able to run on a, on a modern and much more organized code. And both those upgrades uh, in and of themselves would put Cato in a better position to handle some of those challenges they encountered during the pandemic, like having to make significant changes, getting programs to communicate, uh, or being able to handle high claims volume. This audit report includes an update on the estimated cost of unemployment claims that was included in part one uh, that was released back in February 2021. So as a review for our listeners, and we talked, you, you mentioned this earlier a little bit, that preliminary fraud estimate showed that about $600 million in unemployment fraud could have occurred in Kansas between March 2020 and through the end of November 2020. So briefly explain the data that went into developing the $600 million estimate. Yeah. So as I mentioned before, that was you know a preliminary high-level estimate of how much fraud could have occurred in Kansas in 2020. And that, that $600 million estimate is really based on three numbers. Uh, the first was the number of claims Cato reported stopping as potentially fraudulent in 2020, and that was about 157,000 claims. The second was the number of claims filed that year, which was about 650,000 claims. And the third number was the, the total benefits paid that year, which was about $2 billion. So we used those three numbers to come up with that $600 million um, estimate. Now, I, I do want to mention before we get too much further uh, into our fraud work, just kind of one general disclaimer. Uh, you know, fraud is a, a legal term uh, used to describe a, a criminal act, and, and really only courts can decide whether fraud occurred. When we talk about fraud in this audit, uh, we're not referring to any kind of legal determination. Uh, we're, we're using fraud to describe claims that displayed uh, suspicious characteristics that could indicate imposter fraud uh, or basically fraud via identity theft, which we knew was widespread during that pandemic. So uh, I'll stop there because I think Kay's going to take us through some of the more detailed and nuanced parts of our of our estimate. Okay, so I'm going to turn to Cade now. Uh, so fast forward, February 2021, part one is released here in August 2021. Uh, LPA is releasing part two. This audit report estimated about $700 million or about an increase of $100 million in potentially fraudulent payments that could have been made in Kansas during uh, that that time frame in 2020. So to arrive at this estimate, I understand the audit team used an advanced computer model to create a more precise estimate of unemployment fraud in or of estimate of potential unemployment fraud in Kansas. 
Talk about the model the team used in creating this estimate. Sure. So for part two, we decided to employ something called a neural network model to assist in our fraud estimate. A neural network model is a type of advanced machine learning model that takes its name from the way it mimics the structure of a human brain. So similar to a human being, it makes decisions based on the complex patterns it detects in the data. But first, for this kind of model, you have to train it, basically teach it how to look for fraud. To do this, we um, <clears throat> we took a random sample of claims from the data Kadal sent us and assigned a team of auditors to go claim by claim and determine which claims were fraud and which were legitimate. They looked at such indicators as duplicate passwords and emails and addresses, along with some other more subtle claims characteristics. Then once the auditors had finished their review, we fed those training examples to the neural network so that it could teach itself to sort of think like the auditors thought and to look for fraud like the auditors did. And in a sense, it sort of became like a proxy auditor. So finally, once it was trained, we then let the neural network go claim by claim through the remaining million or so claims and decide for itself which ones were fraud and which were legitimate. What are some of the key assumptions and limitations in this estimate? In situations like this, with this kind of analysis, um, you're never going to be 100% accurate across the entire universe of claims in this case. You're inevitably going to run into two basic types of errors known as false positives and false negatives. Uh, in this situation, a false positive occurs Whenever a claim is deemed to be fraud when in actuality it's legitimate and a false negative occurs whenever a claim is deemed to be legitimate when it's actually fraud. Um, so for an, for an analysis like this, the goal is essentially twofold. Minimize the number of errors. That's the first goal. And then, you know, try and be as accurate as possible, obviously. But the second goal is to basically balance out the number of false positives and false negatives so that when you inevitably make the errors, the final amount um, isn't heavily biased one way or another. So, for example, if our model had made way too many false positives compared to false negatives, then our final fraud amount would have been overestimating the amount of fraud. Now, our final fraud estimate of $700 million in Part 2 is comprised of three different subsets, each with varying limitations and risks of false positives and false negatives. Um, so the first subset is the fraud that was detected both by KDAL and by our neural network model. And this set amounts to about $309 million. Now, because these claims were marked as fraud by two separate independent systems, KDAL system and our model, we're pretty confident that the overwhelming majority of claims in this set are accurately identified as fraud and that the number of false positives is very low. The second subset is the fraud that our neural network flagged, but that KDAL didn't and this amounted to about $71 million. However, we only included those claims that our model reported with a fraud probability of 95% or higher. So this high threshold was used to drastically minimize the number of false positives, making this portion of the estimate somewhat conservative as well. Um, the final subset is the fraud that was found by KDAL only, and that was about $306 million. KDAL officials, however, have told us that they have lower confidence in this subset because these same claims weren't flagged by our neural network at all. So there wasn't any confirmation on our end. But there are a couple reasons why claims might be flagged as fraud by KDAL, but not by our model. 
First, KDAL had access to more claims-related information than we did, stuff like bank account information, for example. And they also used some other fraud detection tools that we didn't. So it's quite possible that KDAL simply picked up on fraud that our model never could have found with the limited data that was available to it. So in that case, we'd still want to include those those fraud flags found by KDAL. Now, on the flip side of that, it's possible that some of the claims flagged as fraud by KDAL were false positives, where KDAL was denying payment to legitimate claimants. If there are too many false positives, then this subset would overstate the amount of fraud. Now, ultimately, we can't know for sure the exact number of false positives or false negatives. There's still almost certainly a portion of fraud that went undetected by both KDAL and our model, um, but we have no way of knowing for sure how large that amount is either. So ultimately, we feel that by using a conservative threshold for our model's portion of the estimate and by anticipating and accounting for the presence of false positives, that our final figure of $700 million is not heavily impacted one way or another by either false positives or false negatives. We feel that we've more or less balanced the two out as best we could, which makes us confident in our final $700 million figure. Let's break down the $700 million estimate. What amount are federal funds and what amount are state funds? Yeah, so we we found it was about half state funds and half federal funds. So of that seven hundred million, about three hundred and forty three million came from federal funds, and about three hundred and forty four million came from state funds. So the amount of fraudulent payments were fairly similar between the two funding sources, but they differed in when that fraud occurred. So for example, most fraudulent payments from the federal unemployment programs happened in the spring and summer of twenty twenty, peaking around July before starting to decline. And and we think that the decline has to do with one of the federal unemployment programs expiring at least temporarily around that time. On the other hand, most fraudulent payments for the state's unemployment program occurred in late 2020, uh, before significantly declining around February 2021. Uh, and as a reminder, the, the state's regular unemployment program is funded through the state's unemployment trust fund. Uh, generally, Kansas employers are assessed a tax that funds that trust fund. So when fraudsters started hitting the state's regular unemployment program in late 2020, it did have a negative impact on the balance of the state's trust fund. Uh, so, for example, the balance on that trust fund declined by about $710 million uh, during this time. Using our estimate, uh, that means fraudulent payments could have accounted for about 48% of that decline. The the other thing to highlight about fraud coming from the state's regular unemployment unemployment program is that it did decline sharply around t- February 2021, which coincides with KDAL implementing uh, a new identity verification tool to help reduce fraud. Um, that tool basically required people to answer very specific questions to help validate their identity before they can apply for unemployment benefits. And it did look like that tool helped to cut down on imposter fraud. The report states that about $2 billion in potentially fraudulent payments were prevented in Kansas during the pandemic. Talk about the work that went into developing this estimate. Yeah, so one of the things that stood out to us from the results of our estimate was that there were a significant number of fraudulent attempts that were never paid in Kansas during the pandemic. So our results showed that a little more than half, around 59% of all unique claims filed during the pandemic could have been attempts to commit fraud. 
which is, which is a very high number. Um, but that being said, we found about 30% of those attempts were paid and that's going to result in our 700 million fraud estimate we just talked about. But that also means that 70% of fraudulent attempts in Kansas during the pandemic were not paid. So we wanted to try to estimate the value of claims that were basically stopped. Um, the tricky thing with this is it, it's difficult to estimate the value of claims that were never paid. And that's because we don't, we don't know which programs they would have qualified for, what level they would have been paid out at, or for how long they would have been paid. So what we did was to basically calculate the average payment for legitimate claimants and apply that to the number of fraudulent attempts that were stopped. And in doing that, that gave us that estimated value of about $2 billion in potentially fraudulent payments that were prevented uh, in Kansas during the pandemic. What did Kansas Department of Labor officials tell you they are doing to identify and recover any fraudulent payments? So Cato told us they are continuing to work with federal investigators and law enforcement to uh, investigate potentially fraudulent claims. Uh, To date, uh, you know, even nationally, it, it doesn't appear a whole lot of these cases have been prosecuted yet. But in addition to working with federal partners, Cato also told us that they've been working with uh, Bank of America, one of the one of the banks that Cato partners with, to recover some unemployment funds the bank held because something about those payments looked a little bit suspicious uh, and indicated that fraud might be occurring. Uh, so Cato told us that about seven point four million dollars in potentially fraudulent payments could be recouped from Bank of America. Uh, so far, Cato was able to verify about three point nine million of that total as fraud. Uh, but still needs to confirm the remaining 3.5 million. Um, and Cato officials told us they don't have an estimate of fraudulent payments stopped from the state's other bank, U.S. Bank. Finally, what is the main takeaway of this audit? Probably one of the, the main takeaways was that, you know, the pandemic created some kind of unique challenges. Um, under normal conditions, you know, Cato isn't making many changes to his computer system. Uh, but during the pandemic, you know, not only did they have to make major changes, uh, they had to do it quickly and often. Uh, and when you combine that with historically high unemployment claims, including many, many fraudulent attempts and a really ill-equipped and disorganized computer system, I think all those things put Cadol at extremely high risk for processing delays and errors, which is exactly what happened during the pandemic. Um, you know, and, and I think it's important to note, you know, the, Kansas wasn't alone in this in processing delays. Um, you know, several other states, about half of states really, uh, deal with outdated computer systems as well. So, uh, it was an issue here in Kansas and it was an issue, uh, nationally as well. Matt Etzel is a principal auditor at Legislative Post Audit and Cade Graber is an auditor at Legislative Post Audit. Both of them worked on a recently completed performance audit that focused on determining what factors caused delays in the Kansas Department of Labor's unemployment claims processing during the COVID-19 pandemic. Matt and Cade, thank you for taking the time to discuss the audit's findings with me. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having us. Thank you for listening to The Rundown. To receive newly released podcasts, subscribe to us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. For more information about Legislative Post Audit and to read our audit reports, visit kslpa.org. Follow us on Twitter at KSAudit or visit our Facebook page. 